Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Uh, I'm Brother Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Wyatt. Uh, we would love for um, anyone here who is a guest to fill out the connection card and put that in the offering plate later at the end of the service to let us know you were here, uh, as well as any prayer requests that anyone might have. That's a, a great way for you to communicate to us uh, as the pastors. John chapter 4, we'll be reading a, a pretty lengthy uh, section of Scripture here, verses 1 through 26. It says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to uh, again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, and near, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living, living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will your father, uh, or will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am 
he. We have here a, a very popular story, right? I mean, we've heard this story all our lives, and it's a captivating story. And I think, I think the reason that it captivates us is the intimacy here. We, we don't have a lot of instances in Scripture of Jesus just one-on-one, no one else around, just an intimate conversation. And what he's really doing here is evangelism. He is leading this woman to himself, to Christ, as we are called to lead people to Christ. And so I just want us to, to look at their conversation and look how Jesus approached her so that we might uh, learn about what God has called us to do as we look for and long for people that are hurting, people that are lost, that so desperately need a Savior. We see first that Jesus pursues her knowingly. We see that Jesus has a meeting of destiny with this woman. His schedule isn't going to stop him. He says, I must go through Samaria. I must go. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This was not some, oh wow, there's a woman here that I could share, share the gospel with. No, it was, he knew what was about to happen and he knew what he was going to Samaria to do. I must go to Samaria. I can't go around it. I, 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 I got something I got to do in that area. And he knew her, her existence. He knew that there was a woman there that needed him. The empty jar in that woman's house was a great picture of her life. She was hurting. We will find out that she had five husbands. Five husbands. And the woman uh, and the man that she was with now was not her husband. It's pretty clear, right, where she had gone. To try to quench that thirst in her life. She had gone to men. And we don't have a description of why all the marriages failed. I don't think she was just unlucky and, and uh, all her husbands died. I don't think that's what, I don't think Jesus is confronting her if, all, if she was just had a lot of husbands die. But we know that it was sin, right? It was probably a mixture of, of her own sin, a mixture of the sin of the, the, the men that she chose. But she had been through five failed marriages. I mean, that's awful. I mean, even in our day of, of pretty, pretty a time when people are pretty easily willing to go and get a divorce, we rarely meet someone that has had five. She was a broken woman. Can you imagine how others in society viewed her? Is that maybe a lot of people speculate why is that why she was going to the well in the middle of the day? I mean, because normally you would go. Uh, I know I, uh, when we go to Nicaragua and they have to go and fetch water, they go at the morning because they're going to need water that day, and so they go out uh, to to get water that they're going to need throughout the day, maybe. Maybe you might go in the evening if, you're gonna, if you ran out of water and you need some water uh, for the night. It would have been hot, right? You go in the, in the cool of the morning or the cool in the evening, but she would go in the middle of the day and would it, is it not maybe that she was trying to avoid 
the disapproving looks that people were casting her way, even her own people, because they knew that this was a woman that no man wanted to live with, a woman that could make no marriage work, a woman of sin. And yet, Jesus knew her. Jesus knew her. Jesus had fixed his eyes on her soul before that moment of the well. I believe that. I believe he knew that she was there and that she was hurting. Jesus looked into her thirsty heart and he orchestrated a meeting that would forever change her life, that would forever bring a quench to that that eternal thirst that she had. Just like this woman, this broken woman existing in Samaria, There are broken men and women all over our city, folks. There are people like this woman that just have not been able to make life work. There are people that are hurting, they're broken, and they're thirsty. They've, They've turned to drugs, they've turned to success, they've turned to sex, they've turned to money, relationships, they've turned to drunkenness, they've turned to moral perfection. And and no matter what they have turned to to try to quench the thirst. It was in their life. They, all he found was more thirst. Like someone at, at sea who, who gulps the seawater because they're so desperately thirsty only to realize I'm even more thirsty than I ever was. And that is what sin is. It's gulping at, at seawater when you're thirsty. These people are in your family. They're in your workplace. They're in your school. They're in your neighborhood. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, do we have that heart of Jesus that that sees those people? That opens our eyes and looks for those people? Do we have a heart that acknowledges that there's broken people out there? And that we, as the holders of the Gospel, have the ability to come into their life and change it. We see that Jesus pursues her through some pretty hefty social taboos. There was some racial tension. We know that from various places of Scripture that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. That's why uh, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, it was scandalous because the Jews didn't think there was such a thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritans were the people that uh, the tribes of Ephraim and uh, Manasseh, uh, half of the tribe of Manasseh that had settled in this area. And what had happened was there were a lot of foreigners that came into that area. And what these Jews did was they just said, hey, let's just have a community here where we just share everything. We share religions. uh, We share culture. And so... They had just kind of, hey, that religion looks good. Let's put some of that with our religion and we'll put some of our religion with your religion and we'll just have, we'll coexist, right? We'll, we'll coexist by just mixing everything together. And so the Jews kind of looked at the Samaritans as these, these half-breeds, both, both ethically and religiously, just people that, hey, they should have known better. These were originally good, pure Jews, and yet they've corrupted themselves with the foreign religions and the foreign people. They have intermarried, and they're all mixed up. 
after the Babylonian captivity, the Samaritans actually kind of wanted to rejoin the Jews and say, hey, let's kind of get back. We want to get back with you guys. And, and uh, they were willing to make some concessions. And the Jews said, no, no, we, we don't want you guys anymore. And, and man, after that, there was just extreme bitterness for these people. So it's, it's scandalous that it's this racism of their day that, that Jesus would be would, would stoop to such a level to talk to someone of that inferior race. And yet, Jesus is willing. Jesus doesn't care that she's a Samaritan. He wants to love her with the Gospel. And also, just some social taboos here just in, in dealing with the sexes. Um, even just the simple fact in this day that a man would just talk to a woman was a big deal. It wasn't, it wasn't common. This is why the Jews came back, or I'm sorry, his disciples, when they came back from buying food, it says they marveled. They were like, what, what is Jesus doing here? But Jesus didn't care. He didn't care about social taboos. He wasn't sinning. It's not like he was going back to her place alone. There was, they were out there at a well talking openly about the faith and he had no he was not doing anything wrong and he knew that he knew and he knew it was worth it it was worth being a little scandalous running the risk of having some accusation as oh this holy guy jesus is talking to this woman that's had five husbands he was willing to risk that and go against the social that might said keep silent don't talk to her he was willing because he wanted to love her with the gospel. Any self-respecting Jew man would not have been caught dead talking to a Samaritan, much less a, a female Samaritan. And yet, he knew that she needed to be loved. She needed the gospel to which he knew and had. So then we begin with the conversation itself. Jesus starts the conversation with, a simple request, give me a drink, he says in verse 7. Give me a drink. Evan uh, evangelism does not have to begun, always begin with clever questions. It doesn't have to always b begin with something profound. Sometimes it's just a statement to say, I see you. I see you. Let's talk. But even then, Jesus is going, Jesus is really, He's already there. Like He's already, because thirst and the, the well of water, of everlasting water, the water that He can offer, it's already, like He's, he's going to take her there. It, it seems like it's just something common. He's asking for a drink. But Jesus is going to use these beautiful pictures of what's there right in front of them, a well, and, and them both being thirsty to bring in spiritual truths. It's very clever and, and very, very effective, we will see. Notice, I mean, it's about, the, like it's about the conversation. He has to engage her in conversation. Folks, lifestyle evangelism is, is great in introducing the love of Christ to try to show people your joy in Christ, but you've got to have a conversation 
No one's going to know what Christ has done for them without that conversation, without entering into an engagement with words, and that's what Jesus is doing here. So he's going to be very responsive in, in his approach here. He's going to take her statements and, and listen to them and then take her in spiritual directions. And so she asks, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So she's acknowledging the taboo here, right? She's saying, like, what's happening? I don't, she maybe had never heard a Jew talk to her. And yet, it's catching her off guard. This, like, how can you possibly, uh, a Jewish man, be talking to me? Her, she probably was barely being talked to by her own people, right? Because of her lifestyle. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. So Jesus is quickly, although He started innocently enough, so to speak, of, hey, give me a drink. He's going to take it in a spiritual direction very quickly here. He's beginning to crack the identity of who he is. Not totally yet. By the end of the conversation, he swings the door wide open. But he's beginning to try to let her know, hey, some, the person who's talking to you now is special. And I have something to offer you. And so her response in, in verse 11 and 12, it kind of reminds me of Nicodemus. Uh, because back when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the new birth, he's caught up in the physical aspect, and he's saying, okay, how can I go back into my mom's womb and, and be born again? And he's caught up in the physical. And she's doing the same thing. She asked him, hey, you don't have, even have anything to draw water with. How are you going to give me water from this well? Are you better than Jacob who dug this well? You can't, you can't give me water without something to dip with. And so she's caught up still in the physical, that it's about this physical water. And verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So again, Jesus keeps cracking the door a little, a little more. Does she get it? Yes and no. She, she, she responds in this way in verse 15. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's beginning to get the fact that, that Jesus is offering something supernatural. But she's still caught up in the physical. That it, Oh, it would be great. Like, why not? Like, if you can, can help me get this water where I can drink of it, and I'll never have to come to this well again. I, I hate coming out in public anyway. So I'd love just to not have to come out in public so I can just, you know, never be thirsty again. Sure, let, let's do that. And so she's, she's acknowledging there's a, something supernatural here, but it's still, she sees it dealing with the physical. And so we see next, Jesus, it's necessary for Jesus to pursue her through... The reality of her sin. 
while she's getting the supernatural aspect of, of what Christ is offering, she's still missing the fact that Christ is offering a far better remedy for a far worse physical or spiritual condition that, that is far worse than a spiritual con, uh, physical condition that she has of thirst. All right, she's caught up on, on the physical thirst and he's saying, no, no. There's, there's, there's a thirst that you have that I know about that goes beyond all this physical thirst. So let's talk about that. So Jesus is, is going to take this into an uncomfortable direction. Jesus, Jesus was always good at taking the scalpel to the heart of a person, revealing the, the idol in their heart, right? Uh, we see that with the rich young ruler who came and said, hey, I've kept all the laws. And so what does he do? He says, well, sell everything that you own and give the money to the poor. And the guy went away sad. Why? Because Jesus had revealed that he wasn't keeping the law because he loved his stuff much more than he loved God. And so Jesus was very skilled at this. She needs much more than a physical thirst quencher. And so this is what he says to her in verse 16. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're with now, you're not even married to. Ouch, Jesus, right? Just rip that band-aid right off, right? We, 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 we live in this world where, where everything, people want a, a, a judgment-free society. They don't like judgment. Planet Fitness, uh, you know, their, their slogan is a judge, judge-free, judgment-free zone. You know, that's where people want to go exercise, a place where you're not going to judge me. This summer, a guy walked in in his birthday suit, and people were freaking out, and he said, it's a judgment-free zone. And he learned real quick, as the cops put on the handcuffs, that it, they judge. They have their limits. Because although the world will say we want a judgment-free zone, but, but we still expect you to do what, what we want. There are, there are boundaries. But all kidding aside, people in the world do. We kind of live in a world where I can do what I want. And I don't want anybody calling it sin. I don't want anyone to acknowledge that I'm doing wrong things. I want you to celebrate what I'm doing. But what we see here is that Jesus is not afraid to acknowledge the sin in a person's life. But notice how Jesus uses her sin. It's, it's not simply to point out his moral superiority over her. It's not simply to make her feel bad. These are often reasons why we point out sin, because someone has made us feel bad or, or offended us, so we want to make them feel bad. We want to make ourselves feel more holy because we sin differently than someone else. 
Or we see the person as our enemy and we want to try to inflict pain with their sin. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Of course not. This pricking of her conscience is for her own good. Christ is like the good doctor here, pointing out the tumor on the x-ray so that he can say, but guess what? I'm going to fix this. I've got the treatment. I've got the antidote. I've got the therapy. He needs to show her that her worst problem is not her physical thirst in her belly. It's, it's a worse problem. It's that, that spiritual thirst that's in her heart. She has tried and tried again to go to the broken cistern of men. And she has found nothing but more and more and more thirst each time and more shame each time those men failed her and she failed those men. Folks, let us be people that fearlessly speak of sin. It is the cancer that is in all of mankind. But let us operate not with the hatchet of Christless morality that's meant to damage, that's meant to hurt, that's meant to set people apart. Let us operate with the beautiful scalpel of the Gospel of grace and the work of Jesus Christ in the heart. Let us be that kind of surgeon. Like Jesus was here, just pointing out because he, he, she just wasn't getting the point. It's not about thirst. It's about the thirst in your heart that you've tried to fill with something other than me. We see Jesus pursues her through her questions. Her response in verse 19 is, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say... That in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So we, she's getting it here. She's realizing, okay, this, this guy's, there's something to this guy. He's a prophet. He just saw into, he, I've never met him, and yet he saw into the most intimate details of my life, numbering my marriages, numbering my relationship of, of, of who I'm with now. This is not a typical guy. He's, he says, she says, I, I perceive, okay. Okay, there's something serious happening here. You're a prophet. And so she asked him a question about worship and, and where, hey, a Samaritan say you're supposed to worship here. You Jews say we're supposed to worship here. And this is kind of what we do, right? When we've been confronted with our sin, Hey, let's talk about theology. Let's talk about church denominations. I don't want to look into my heart and see what I truly need. Let's talk about something else. And that's what she tries to do. But notice how Jesus simply he goes with her. He doesn't go back to digging at 
the source of her sin, he follows her to the discussion on worship because at this point, he's got her, right? This is what he wants to talk about. He wants to create in this woman someone who has worshipped men, who has worshipped other things, and create a worshiper of the true God. He's like, I got her. Let's talk about worship. And he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on the mount, on this mountain, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus says, right subject, wrong question. Okay, You're getting to the right subject, lady. That it's about worship but it's not about where it's not about where that's not the biggest question it's about the who of worship and it's about the how of worship so jesus tells us the 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 jesus tells her that the the samaritans had corrupted the original religion of of who they were to worship to the point that it was no longer recognizable so he tells her you worship what you do not know Jesus is not afraid to speak of her sin, and He's not afraid to speak to the fact that you're on the wrong road. You're not worshiping the true God. The Samaritans have corrupted the religion, and and the reality is the Jews had too. But the Samaritans had done it from long ago. And He says... You worship what you do not know. We live in a, again in a world that says, worship what you want to worship. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, y'all got your own thing going. You Samaritans, you kind of, you know, you did your own thing. You're doing your own thing for God to get to God. No, he says, no, you're on the wrong. You're worshiping what you don't know. You're not on the right track. And so he says, you're worshiping the wrong thing, the wrong God. And then he concentrates on the how of worship. He says, the hour is coming, it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus says to her, God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It, it doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan or if you're a Jew or if you've got a temple over here and we've got a temple over there. It's not about the outward trinkets of, of worship. We, all, this, all these outward rituals that have been a part of the worship for so long, he's saying it's not going to be about that anymore. We know that, that while these rituals had served a purpose, they, man, they hadn't done everything they needed to do to bring about the salvation of the people. We, we learned when we went through our study on modern prophets that so much of they, what they did, it was all external. And what Jesus is saying here is, it's about the internal. It's about uh, the, the spirit inside of you and the truth that you proclaim. 
So Jesus is saying soon it's not going to be about buildings and priestly garments and ritualistic sacrifice, but God shall dwell in the hearts of his people through his spirit. It's about spirit worship. It's about Jesus Christ's spirit in us that he brings us in salvation. But we worship in truth. And what is that truth? What is the overarching truth that's what Jesus gives her at the end? The woman finally says to him, listen, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus says, He swings the door wide open and says to her, I who speak to you am He. I'm Him. I'm the, 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 the thing by which hearts are changed. When you believe in Me, you become a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Because I'm revealing to you the truth right now that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. It's Me. And as we'll see next week as we kind of look at the ramifications of this conversation that she believes. And a worshiper is created that day. And through her ministry, many more worshipers are created. And what a glorious, glorious truth. That there are lost people out there. That when they are confronted in the midst of their brokenness and their wrong roads to God, that there are those who if we will pursue and love, we will see them and know them, that we will pursue them in their sin, that we will pursue them through their questions that we will see worshipers created. What a glorious, glorious reality that we get to live in as those who have this glorious gospel that people so desperately need. I'm going to ask for the musicians to come and I'm going to ask you to please stand as we pray. Let me ask you this, are you a worshiper of the true God? It doesn't matter how much you've failed, how many marriages you've had, how many broken relationships you've had, how many mistakes you've made. There is a Christ who can absolutely and totally heal you. If you would trust Him this morning in the sacrifice that He made on the cross and believe upon His resurrection. And Christian, I want you to think about having the heart of Christ that seeks and pursues those who are broken to give them the glorious Gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Or I'm sorry. Let's pray. Got that mixed, mixed up. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before You acknowledging that there are people like this woman all over our town, all in our lives. 
in our workplaces, our schools, our families. There are people who desperately need you. And God, I pray that we would be like your son who pursued those people. He pursued those people that were not like him, that were not his race, that were not like him. He pursued them so that they would know you and know your grace and be reconciled to you. God, move in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.